This sermon was recorded Sunday, March 22, 2020. Brother Ben Wood asked the question, Who is Lord of your life? This sermon examines Matthew 16, verses 13 through 18, and Jonah 3 and 4. And now to the message. Matthew chapter 16, we'll be starting verse 13. And this is just my personal devotion and study where I've been at. I really enjoy the gospel of Matthew, the way he words things, the way he lays things out. He's a great storyteller, and uh, I just really enjoy reading Matthew. Uh, so Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I also unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. If you would, let's just let's say a quick prayer. Pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for uh, giving us the means to even come together in such a weird and indifferent time. I pray that you would use this passage, Lord, to, to speak to us, to open our eyes to what you have to say to us, Lord. Work through our mind, work through our eyes, work through our ears, and you have your way. In your wonderful and holy name we pray. Amen. Just a few weeks ago, <clears throat> the youth and I uh, did a, a short study through the book of Jonah and, and his story. You know, and everybody knows about the, the great fish that swallowed Jonah. But one of the things that really stood out to us was uh, God in the story and how forgiving, how loving, how persistent God was with Jonah. Uh, you know, Jonah was a prophet, and God told him he wanted him to go to Nineveh uh, to preach, but Jonah did not like Nineveh. He didn't like Ninevites. He thought they were wild. He thought they were heathens. Uh, to preach, And that was that he said, when you go into Nineveh, go in there three days preaching that God is going to overthrow the city. And that's what Jonah did. He goes in preaching God's going to overthrow the city, and he was happy to do it. And guess what? They all repented. They all turned from their ways. They all fell down and they worshiped God. They gave up, right? They listened to Jonah's sermon. They, they heard what he had to say and they turned. But Jonah wasn't happy about this. Are you kidding me? They actually listened to your sermon and you're upset? He was mad because he thought God was going to destroy the city. Block on block. Everybody in there would be destroyed because they're wild, heathen-like Ninevites. But God overthrew them spiritually. And he was mad about this upset about this. So he goes up to a hill right outside the city of Nineveh and he pouts. He's mad. He's upset. And he says, God, please just take my life now. I don't even want to be here. I don't want to live. And God says, Jonah, are you sure that you have a, a right to be angry over this? Do you think that your anger is uh, in a good place right now? Do you think you're right in this? And he's sitting there on the hill and he's scorching in the sun. The sun's beaming down on him. He's probably burnt and uh, just pouting in a, in a state of depression. And the Lord sends a tree over, overnight, through the night, that rises up and shades Jonah. Takes care of Jonah. Even after all this, he takes care of Jonah. And Jonah's kind of grateful for it. And then the next night, God sends a worm. I don't know what kind of worm it was, 
but it must have been some sort of crazy worm that eats up the tree. The tree withers away the next day. And God did this just to show Jonah, I'm in control of the good and the bad. No matter what happens, I'm in control. I'm God. I take care of you. I put you through things to turn you back to me. That's who God was. And that's what he did for Jonah. So even though Jonah was arrogant, he was stubborn, he was rebellious, he was angry, he was just a nasty dude, God never left him. God never forsook him. He never changed. He still loved him through everything. That's who God was. That's who God is. And that's who Jonah was. That's the kind of man he was. So going back to our text here, Jesus asked the disciples, he says, what are the crowds? What do they say about me? Who do they say that I am? And they responded and they said, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're uh, Elijah. And some say you're one of the old prophets like Jeremiah. And Jesus says, but who do you say that I am? You see, Jesus wasn't concerned about what the others thought. Jesus wasn't concerned about what the crowd thought, what anybody else thought of him. Jesus is so personal. He's so involved with us and who we are that he wanted to know, what do you think about me? And he still does that to this day. He says, Ben, or whomever is watching here, what do you think about me? I don't care about everything else. I don't care what they say. I don't care what they think. This is me and you, one-on-one, -on -one, just you and I, nowhere else to go. What do you think about me? John 4, 24 says that God is a spirit and he must be worshiped in spirit and truth. You see, we can, we can lie, we can fool our parents, we can fool our friends, we can fool our bosses, the people we work with, anybody in this world, the best investigators, but we can't fool God because God works with our heart. He doesn't work with our mouth. We say things that sometimes aren't always true. We say things that don't mean anything. We're just talking. So God ignores all that and he deals with our heart. He, he's worried about us worshiping in spirit and in truth. He knows where our heart's at. You know, on the day of judgment, there'll be people that say, Lord, Lord, I did this in your name and I did that in your name. I went to Sunday school. I went to church. Um, I put Bible verses on Facebook. I sang in the choir. I did all this. But he's going to say, depart from me because I never knew you personally. I never had a relationship with you one-on-one. -on -one. You see, sometimes Christianity seems like the right thing, right? It seems like the good thing, the right thing to do. Everybody else is doing it or everybody else is going to church. We live in the Bible Belt. It's pretty common. Everybody has heard about Jesus or goes to some sort of church or has been... But Jesus is saying, are you willing to sacrifice for me? Are you willing to turn away from your life, everything you knew, to follow me? Are you willing to do that? Because I am so involved with you personally, just you and your heart. That's what I want you to do. I want you to make me Lord of your life. You don't just give your, your heart to God and it's it. He wants your life. He wants your dedication. He wants you to trust him no matter what. Coronavirus, no coronavirus. He don't care. He wants you to trust him. He wants to lead your life. He wants to be involved in your life personally. That's Jesus. That's our God. What a great God that he cares enough about little old me, little old you, nobodies, nothings, just millions and millions and billions of people have walked this earth and he cares about us, us. I haven't done anything, but he is that involved with me that he cares enough 
then he wants to know what I think about him. The Lord's not interested in our words. He's interested in our worship. And if you notice here, look in your Bibles. Uh, verse 17, Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon. Simon was Peter's real name. Peter was just a nickname uh, for Simon. And it is a very fitting nickname. Peter comes from the Greek word petro, which means rock. And Jesus gave him this nickname because Peter is, one, he's rough around the edges. Two, he's kind of brash and rough. Uh, three, he's outspoken, but he's firm in his faith. He's unmoving in his faith. So Jesus gives him this nickname. And notice in verse 18, he calls him Peter or Rock for the first time. And he says, upon you, I will build my church. And you can go through the rest of the Gospels, all four of them, and you'll notice that sometimes Jesus calls him Simon. Sometimes he calls him Peter. And this is strategic. The reason Jesus does this is because when he calls him Simon, it's because Peter has done something that is um, probably not the brightest or best thing to do in that situation. And he's reminding him, you're not that old man anymore. You're not the same. I've changed you. You're different now. And when Jesus calls him Peter, it's uplifting him. He's reminding him, you're my rock. On you, I'm building my church. What a great, great feeling that Peter must have right now that Jesus said, you're going to be one of the cornerstone building blocks of my church. Uh, that's, uh, that's a pretty big deal, and, and Peter's just a normal dude. Remember, Peter is uh, the same guy who denied Christ three times. Um, he doubted Christ to a point where he almost drowned. Uh, Peter just always said the wrong thing, it seemed like. And upon him, Jesus is going to build his church. Jesus is going to use Peter in that way. Such a normal guy. That's what I love so much about Peter and about Jesus is that uh, he, he always seemed to do the thing that you were like, no, Peter, why are you doing that? But at the same time, when push come to shove, he was the one that stood firm. Remember, Peter was crucified upside down because he said, I'm not worthy to be crucified like my Lord. That's pretty amazing faith, and that's what Jesus is after. He was a worshiper of spirit and in truth. I heard a story a little while back, and I love this story, uh, about Thomas Edison. You know, he invented the light bulb, and uh, it took Thomas Edison and an entire team uh, of like six or eight people 24 full hours of no sleep, uh, no meals, no breaks, no anything to... Um, create one light bulb and they were working through the night took them a solid 24 hours because there was a, a rich man coming through town and they needed somebody to help fund this project they were running out of money so they worked tirelessly 24 hours to get one light bulb created to show this guy and uh <clears throat> they get it finished they do the impossible and uh thomas edison has a young man working for him like an intern a helper and uh, he gives him, he entrusts him with the task of taking this light bulb down the steps and putting it in a safe box. So this guy's nervous. He's tore up. I mean, this is a big deal. Uh, remember, there's no light bulbs. This is, this is you know, the first of these. And um, he's carefully walking foot over foot. Uh, he's watching his hands, and he trips on the first step, drops the bulb. It shatters everywhere. Um, just... Uh, a terrible, terrible time for that young man. The guilt, the embarrassment, all that work was in vain. All that time was in vain. 
But Thomas Edison and his team was able to convince the rich man to stay one more night. Stay just one more night and we'll be able to create one more. So once again, they go back to the, the shop and they're working 24 hours through nonstop and they get one made. They do the impossible. They do it two nights in a row, get one made. But now they have the crazy task of having to take this sucker down the steps again. And instead of getting someone else, Thomas Edison got the same young man to walk it down the steps. And later on, Thomas Edison said the reason he'd done that is because you could just see the guilt, the embarrassment, how he had let down everyone, how he had ruined this opportunity. You could just see it all over, and it just killed him on the inside. And Thomas Edison said that he knew if there was one person in the world that was not going to drop that second light bulb, it was that young man. And he gave him a second chance, and he got it down the steps. They got approved, and so now when you can turn your lights on and uh, your porch light, your inside lights, you can thank that young man for walking that down the steps. Uh, but the Lord knows, and, and the reason this story comes up is the Lord knows we're going to do things. We're going to say things, always the wrong thing at the wrong time. Uh, we're not perfect. We're human. That's just part of it. Jonah, look at Jonah. How many times did he uh, just, he, he didn't listen to God. He rebelled against God. He got angry with God. And God never left him. He was always by his side. Peter's a perfect example. All the things, Peter cut a dude's ear off. I mean, he come out and cut his ear off. Jesus had to rebuke him. He said, get behind me, Satan. That was Peter. But look at how Jesus just loved Peter. He said he's going to build his church upon him. This is God. This is how forgiving he is. He's never changing. He's always the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. This is our Lord. This is our Savior. This is our God. How much he loves us and cares about us personally. Just as he did Jonah and Peter. How how refreshing to know that I can go out and I can do the wrong thing, say the wrong thing, but God will always be there to forgive me and welcome me with open arms, just as the father did the prodigal son. He loves to see us come back. And you know, Jonah might have thought the, the great fish was for punishment. And maybe in some ways it was, don't get me wrong. But at the same time, the Lord used that fish. The Lord sent the storm and he sent the fish to get Jonah's attention. And guess what? Jonah cried out and he said, God, forgive me. You give me a chance, I'll do it right. And guess what? God forgave him. God gave him another chance. He sent him out. Then he pouted on the hillside. God gave him another chance. Because if God is so forgiving, he's so involved with us, he doesn't look at us now, where we're at, who I am. He looks at where we're going. You see, we're going to do the wrong thing. We're going to say the wrong thing. But if our heart is right, if we're a worshiper of spirit and in truth, if our heart is right and he sees that we're on the path, we want to improve. I'm letting you lead my life. I want you to make me better, Lord. He is going to take us and he is going to forgive us uh, 70 times 7, 100 times over again because that's who he is. He knows that you have to crawl before you can walk. You have to walk before you can run. This is Peter. He's stripped down. He's nothing. He's just a normal dude. And next thing you know, God builds his church on him. And Peter does amazing things in the name of Jesus because the Lord grew him. The Lord took him to where he wanted to take him. And Peter surrendered his life to him. Peter let him be Lord of his life. He said, lead me. And the Lord led him. So who do you say that I am? That's what Jesus asked. 
That's what he asks us. Nothing's changed. Maybe the times have changed. Maybe now we have electricity and now we have uh, tennis shoes instead of sandals or whatever. But nothing's changed with the Lord. He's still asking this question. Who do you say that I am? Am I Lord? Am I Savior? What am I in your life? Maybe you have been saved. Maybe you've accepted Jesus in your life. Is He Lord of your life? Is He leading your life? Is He guiding you step by step? That's what He wants from us. Only our time. Not our money. Not uh, our words. He only wants our worship. He's only involved with us. He don't care what we're wearing, how we talk, just our heart. Is our heart involved with Him? Is our heart in a place that says, Lord, I don't care about anything else, just you. I did the wrong thing, you forgive me. I'm moving on. I'm not turning back, I'm moving on. I'm, I'm taking up the cross and I'm letting you lead me. Maybe you haven't been saved. Maybe you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus. What a weird time we live in where uh, fear just seems to be everywhere. Uh, worry is everywhere, especially now where we're quarantined in our own homes. And worry just seems to be uh, at the top of the list in most people's uh, inbox and uh, their work life, their day-to-day -day life. And the Lord's saying, I can, t I can change all that. You don't have to worry. What do you have to worry about? On the day of judgment, if I'm number one in your life, if you know me personally, you're going to be with me. What do you have to worry about? If anything, I can, I can make you even, even more than what you ever thought you were. Just trust me. Let me be Lord of your life. Let me lead and let me guide you. That's who our God is. He's not this crazy thing that people want to make him out to be, that the non-Christians, the, the world, what they want us to think about our own God, that's not him. He's involved with us one-on-one, -on -one, personally. Go through the Bible, you can find all kinds of people that tried to run from God. Elijah, one of the greatest prophets, tried to run from God. And God never left him. Though he did the wrong thing, God never left him. He always forgave him and just wanted to grow him and lead him. That's who our God is. That's who Jesus is. He wants to know what you, what I say about him. He wants to know our heart. Ain't he a good God? If you would pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for being so involved in our life that you never leave or forsake us. No matter the times, no matter what's going on, no matter what the media says, no matter what anybody says, you are still in control and you'll always be in control. There's nothing that happens that isn't under your control. So Lord, we praise you and we thank you for being God and you truly are a good God. I pray that you would work in our life, change our life. And Lord, I pray that you would be number one in our life. In your holy name I pray, amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from New Life Ministry. We pray that God has spoken to you through it. 
For more about New Life Ministry, including other sermons, videos, and service times, please visit our website at www.nlmky.org.